A main principle of federal contracting is that bidders have to tell the truth. Lying, or in legalese, material misrepresentations can get you disqualified. But what if that misrepresentation was unintended or inadvertent? A couple of subtleties creep in. As we learn from procurement attorney Joe Petrillo, he talked with Tom Temin. And Joe, this has been coming up because judges at the federal court have disagreed with one another over whether a material misrepresentation, if it was unintentional, should be grounds for qualification. What's going on? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, the uh, the law is that if there's a material misrepresentation in a proposal, um, the agency can, and in some cases perhaps should, disqualify the offeror from participating in the in the procurement uh, and for getting award. Uh, Some of the cases mention that this material misrepresentation has to be intentional. Some of the cases delete that requirement. So if you look at the case law, it appears that there's some inconsistencies between the two. Uh, That's illustrated by a couple of recent cases. Alaska Structures is one and Netcentrics is is another. In, In Alaska Structures, the agency was, uh, this Air Force, was buying uh, shelters, uh, canvas shelters, sort of like Quonset huts, uh, and they had to be, since they were being used in Alaska, uh, tested for uh, ability to ha- stand up to snow. And uh, the, um, uh, the requirement was that they be able to handle 20 pounds per square inch of, uh, of snow pressure. Uh, when one company won the award, um, CAMS, Alaska Structures protested and said, well, their product literature said they'd only been tested to 10 PSI, but they'd been engineered to 20 PSI, and so that's a material misrepresentation. Uh, the issue was whether, you know, what, what does this product literature say because it wasn't necessary, it wasn't submitted with the proposal. So the first question the judge had to answer is, am I even going to look at the product literature? And uh, the judge reviewed the case law and uh, thought that in, in the, the misrepresentation probably needed to be in, uh, intentional. So the judge ordered the production of the product literature and any underlying tests, uh, and decided you know would decide whether or not the the misrepresentation was intentional. Um, the other case, Netcentrics, involved uh, a procurement of IT services for the Department of Defense, um, high tech IT services to help maintain their operations in the Washington D.C. area. And there, the question was the availability of key personnel. Uh, most of the material misrepresentation cases have to do with that issue. You've got key personnel. They're important for contract performance. The government wants to make sure they're committed so that they will start uh, if the contract is uh, start and perform if the contract is awarded. And the issue there was, does the misrepresentation need to be material? What happened was that one of the key personnel was initially employed by the company, was proposed for this slot, but just prior to final proposal revisions, that person left the company, and the company took no steps to make sure that they would be available 
to come back and work in the key slot, the deputy program manager slot. Sure. Then when it turned out that they won the award, someone protested and raised the issue. DOD looked into it and decided that uh, there had been a misrepresentation and disqualified the offeror. Uh, This judge ruled that the misrepresentation did not need to be material for the agency to, as a matter of discretion, disqualify the offeror. And so there is that issue of uh, whether what the agency does does the agent and in this instance they uh, they were held to have the discretion to uh, disqualify the offeror even if it wasn't an intentional misrepresentation got it we're uh, speaking with procurement attorney joseph petrillo well in the case of personnel i guess there could be intentional or unintentional because if uh-oh. say you bid with a certain person and that person dies before the or leaves the company and you don't tell the government, then how do you interpret that? Because it could be, well, we should have told them because we bid with that person, but now they're not there. Exactly. This line of cases deals with situations where we are judged as of the date of proposal submission. So stuff that happens afterward doesn't matter, but presumably you need to know as of the date of proposal submission or revision uh, the status of, of key personnel. But yet agencies um, often complain about what they call bait-and-switch, where they thought they were getting Joe Schmo, and instead they get somebody else, and they consider that bait-and-switch. Bait-and-switch is not a legal term, but the agencies don't like it. Right. And there are two ways of dealing with that. One is to make sure that the agency has um, you know, a good-faith understanding that the person is available and will come to work um, and usually you want things like letters of commitment, for example, to, to, to solidify that uh, representation. And then uh, during performance or when performance begins, substitutions of, of key personnel are subject to government approval. So uh, there are some mechanisms they have to uh, cut down on or mitigate the effects of uh, bait and switch. All right. So what should contractors do to proceed here and what should contracting officers do? in light of the fact that cases could go either way when it comes to material misrepresentation? Sure. Well, I, I, that's, a, that's a good question. I think contractors need to make certain that they can back up claims they make in the proposal. Um, and you know, when you're submitting your final proposal revision, you need to evaluate whether or not uh, your key personnel are still available and make changes if they are not available. Um, the other thing that agencies need to do is to you know, look at the proposal and make sure that the representations are consistent throughout the proposal, that there isn't information in the proposal that uh, that would undermine the representations that are made. And if so, they need to follow up on that. And if an offeror brings, uh, if a disappointed offeror brings to their attention inconsistent information, uh, they should make an adequate investigation and, and try to determine whether the uh, proposal has been uh, uh, has been misrepresented, and if so, if, if it's important, if it's material to the award decision. Because one of the judges, I think, in writing about these was worried about what I would call the slippery slope effect. If you decide, well, this material representation was inadvertent, so we'll let it go and accept the bid or even award the contract, then contractors may conclude, well, you know, it's not that important, and so they might get sloppy on their reviews of their own bids, figuring that a material representation is not that big a deal. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's a, a temptation to try to put your best foot forward and to only emphasize the, 
the positive uh, aspects of your proposal and uh, try to uh, gloss over things that, that, that might not be positive but are important. Uh, and, and, and that's an understandable desire on the part of uh, someone seeking a contract. On the other hand, there's an important uh, uh, issue here of the integrity of the process. And uh, you know, if good decisions are going to be made about who wins a contract, they have to be based on facts and, and, and things that are that are accurate. Because I guess leaving out facts could also be material misrepresentation. If you say we're going to bid with, you know, Mary Doe here, who is the best project manager known to mankind, but leave out the fact that she's a convicted felon, then that would be material misrepresentation too. Sometimes omission can do that. Yeah, exactly. When there, when it when it seems to head you off in the wrong direction, and and you haven't corrected that, that can be an issue as well. Or I guess those Quonset huts or those tents could stand up to 20 inches of snow, but there's a target on top of them for fun. And that, that's not something the Air Force would want to have on its on the top of its tents. Uh, there's a second chapter to that story in, in Alaska Structures. The, the agency decided, the Air Force decided, that what it would do was cancel the initial solicitation, reissue the solicitation, uh, and require uh, the offerors to submit uh, testing results showing that they met the specifications. Uh, the initial protester went back to court and said that's not good enough. They have to disqualify um, the offeror, the initial offeror who had uh, not gotten the contract because of the apparent discrepancy in its product literature. And uh, the uh, the court did not require that and did not see that the, the rep- misrepresentation in this context was um, intentional and um, and was one that needed to lead to a permanent disqualification of the offeror from the uh, need that the government was fulfilling. Joe Petrillo is a procurement attorney with Petrillo and Powell. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive and subscribe to the Federal Drive on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First. Always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.